Welcome to the Take 92 podcast. My name is Sammy Warmhands. I am your host, and it is down to the wire. These episodes drop at 6 a.m. It is currently about 3.15. I got to work tomorrow, but there is just so much content crammed into this episode. I got to sit down, have a great conversation with my friend Sarks. You've probably seen us tour together. You may have heard our collaborative album, Arcane Amalgam. And he's got a brand new group called Guns, Gods, Ghosts. He's about to release the first EP and LP in the coming weeks and months. So check that out at the end. But first, I sat down with Gift the Gab of Black Alicious while he was on tour in Corvallis, Oregon. And we met through some strange circumstances, but it was nice to shake hands and talk face to face. Even got to trade some rhymes with him on stage that night. And we had a good time, man. So here's Gift to Gab. Welcome, Gab. Peace, peace, yo. Good to be here. We are crammed in the uh, back office at Cloud and Kelly's. Yes, yes, yes. This is my office when I come here. The, the, the unofficial <laughs> my green room. office when I come here. Nice. Yes. You've been coming to Corvallis a long time, right? Yeah, we've been coming to Corvallis. I've been coming to Corvallis for years, you know. Um, absolutely. Um, shout out to Landon Wordswell, who is the first one that brought me out here. And, uh, you know, I've been coming out here a lot, um, kicking it at Clouds and, and Cloud and Kelly, you know? As close as I am to this place, I don't think I've played here since 2001. Oh, really? So, well, I love coming out here. Out of the I loop, I had here. to come back and yeah, uh, absolutely. got yep. acquainted with some of the people here tonight. I was like, you know, maybe I'll, I'll, I'll break that absolutely. Uh, dry spell there. Absolutely. Um, well, we met under unusual circumstances. Yes. And I don't want to go too much into it, but mm-hmm. uh, I had to come up and say what's up. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, absolutely. Introduce myself. No doubt. Um, listeners can expect we'll have a fast, rapidy rap, all mm-hmm. kinds of bars, song coming up on my oh, next yeah. record called oh, yeah. Break It Dawn. Working on that right now. I'm excited about that. Yes. Tell me about your new record, Rejoice. My record, Rejoice Rappers Are Rapping Again, is a re-release. I released it last year to all my Patreons. Come and join me on Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N uh, dot com slash gift to gab. It's a place where you can come subscribe every month, get exclusive songs, exclusive blogs. You can interact with me. And, um, you know, lots of material that other people won't be able to get to. It's kind of like a fan club type thing. So if you're a gifted, if you're a gifted gab head, come be a subscriber on my Patreon. But uh, Rejoice Rappers are Rapping again. I, I released that last year to my Patreons. And I was going to release uh, the EP. The Deluxe Edition is still on Patreon, and you got to be a subscriber to get it. But, you know, it's, it's an EP. I've just released it. You know, a little something to warm up for this album I'm getting ready to put out. Yeah. Um, you know, about six. It's the EP. The EP that's out right now is about six songs. The Deluxe Edition on Patreon is eight songs. Something for the lyrical heads and some for the people that love real hip-hop and love real I'm saying. And then my album is entitled Finding Inspiration Somehow, the acronym for FISH. And um, it's going to be out later this year. And I'm really excited about about both projects. You know, we got videos coming from the EP. Next couple of years is going to be really busy. I'm dropping. I'm doing a record with, with obviously, me and Chief XL are doing yep. the next Black Alicious record, which will hopefully be out top of next year. I'm doing a record with LaRange on Mellow Music Group as well. So that's three albums in the next uh, 12 months. Nice. Um, so I'm really, really busy working on my first book. 
which is entitled uh, Finding the Watcher. What's that about? Um, it's a book of poems inspired by Rumi. I'm really getting into it, really into the act of writing it and creating it. And I think I'm going to be doing a lot more books. So get ready for Gift of Gab, the author. I have tried my hand at that a little bit. I actually just finished editing my second book last night. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's definitely, uh, it's a different challenge. But, but it's I, the same shit, though. It's it kinda is. It's kind of like, I find that it, it, it all comes from the same place. Totally. You know? Yeah. Yeah, the yeah, only yeah. thing I don't like about it is the... the the revisions and the formatting and stuff. Yeah. Uh, it takes a lot longer for me, but the writing is still really enjoyable. Yeah. Yeah. You know? Absolutely. Talking about the the new releases, um, mm. the single did really well. Uh, I saw oh, yeah. you posted up the other day, the Free latest update. Freedom Form Flowing. Yeah, with, with R.A. and Rugged Afro. Man and Afro. That's been it's a great track. Huge. Shout out to R.A. and Afro. You know, really um, was a privilege for me to work with two incredible lyricists, you know. It's a song, if you're into lyricism, you, it's kind of impossible to not like this song. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Freedom Form Flowing, Get the Gab featuring Afro and R.A. the Rugged Man. Check I think it's it cool that you brought on Afro with him, too, because, I mean, Absolutely. you could have just featured R.A., but, you know, you're giving well, respect kinda, to the young talent. I kind of, like, met them both at the same time, you know, and we kind of <laughs> chopped it up and... I'm definitely a fan of theirs, and you know, it was just like, a, a, it's, let's do some, let's do some MC shit. Yeah, you know, yeah, yeah. It turned out Absolutely. great. Absolutely. Yep. Shout out to R.A. and Afro. My friend pointed out that another rapper was involved in that song, sort of, in that the Joker directed yeah, the yeah, video. Yeah, he directed the video. Shout out to the jo How Joker. How did that come who to be? Did a phenomenal job in directing. Well, R.A. knew him. Okay. You know, R.A. was like, "Yo, we should, we, you should check out my man Joker," and I checked out his work. We went down to L.A., shot the video. I had to throw that question in there for my friend Thomas, who's a, mm -hmm. a fan slash acquaintance of Joker. He pointed that out to me. Yeah, no, nah, that, that whole video, just a pleasure doing that song and doing that video. Yeah, it's a really Absolutely. fun one. Yeah. I want to rewind a little bit. Mm -hmm. I would say that you were among the first underground rappers I ever saw live. Really? Yeah, mm. I was volunteering when I was in high school, mm -hmm. learning how to run, run sound and lights at the Wow Hall in Eugene, mm -hmm. and Black Alicious came through, Yeah, and um, you know I kind of had my pick on what shows I wanted to work, mm -hmm. probably 2002-ish, mm -hmm. something like that, Yeah, and uh, you guys came through and uh, just tore it up, and I remember seeing like the exercises you were doing like alphabet aerobics mm -hmm. and you know seeing other shows around the same time you know like blueprint did his yeah. whole thing on like saturday morning cartoons and Absolutely. like you know as as shout out a, to blueprint a young person just getting into mm -hmm. uh you know lyricism it was yeah. it was inspiring to see that mm -hmm. so seems like it's even a better time to be gifted gab now even as like you're having a resurgence you know with mm -hmm. the new shit and mm -hmm. the whole Tonight Show thing happened. Yeah. That was cool, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Probably. It. Shout out to Daniel Ratcliffe. <laughs> yeah, give man. everybody a shout out, man. The Harry Potter shout rap. Shout out to uh, Harry Potter, Daniel Ratcliffe. You know, showing us love and, and, and just going on and, and performing that song. That did a lot for Alphabet Aerobics, and it really uh, it was good for us, man. So, yeah, shout out to Daniel Ratcliffe, man. And I imagine that's not only good in terms of you know them having to license the song but also just putting more eyes on it and then you absolutely. get more copycat covers and all that i mean absolutely what was what it was, was a whole like it's a whole been a whole phenomenon of people doing alphabet aerobics from yeah. news broadcasters to 
anim- people, animators, uh, you know, just a lot of people doing their own renditions of um, alphabet aerobics. It's a, it's 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 an honor. You yeah. feel like that's bringing new eyes to your, to your new new projects Absolutely. and stuff. Absolutely, yeah. That's the beauty of the internet. You know, yeah, something man. Something like that can happen, and it can make a big difference in your career. And such an early song to have. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, that's awesome. Know, a couple of decades old. And, I you know. know it's, it's, it's really popular again. You know, that's fabulous. So you were yeah. telling me earlier you were about to head to Europe. Yeah, Blackalicious uh, heads out. We got Manchester on the 9th, London on the 10th. Then, of course, we're going to take a few off days in London and hang out. And uh, yeah, and then we go to Calgary later in the month. We go to Canada later in the in, in the month as well. And yeah, man, we're just grinding, man. We're working yeah. on a new album. We're about fifty. We we've recorded about fifty songs, and damn, we're, we're still recording, and we're just gonna take the best fourteen of those, or fifteen, sixteen, whatever, twelve. I don't know, but yeah, we're hard at work. I'm hard at work on a lot of projects, like I was saying at the beginning. That one, my solo record, the Laurent's record, you know, and my first book. So, do those know. B-sides go like onto your Patreon, or do they just go in the vault? They go on my Patreon. My B-sides go on my Patreon. Nice. Blackalicious is collecting B-sides. One day we're gonna release release an album of all B-sides and unreleased Blackalicious songs. Nice. But we got that piling up in the vault right now. I wanted to ask. I think my strangely probably my favorite record of yours Mm -hmm. is the mighty underdogs wow Um, that's dope that's good to know yeah that record blew me away Mm -hmm. uh obviously was familiar with you i was familiar with latirix um hadn't really heard much of latif's solo stuff but Mm -hmm. um Mm -hmm. but hearing that record man you guys were just so on fire at that moment it was was such a fun record the premise of the record and the reason it's called dropping science fiction it's an album based on fictional storytelling because we felt like so many people were concerned with keeping it real that people started to forget that this is actually music and you're a creator and you're supposed to be able to use your imagination too. You know, everything doesn't have to be so... I shot 20 people and I really did it. (laughs) You know, it really really don't got to be like that. You know, it's creativity. You know what I mean? So that whole album was, you know, let's make a song, let's base it on fictional storytelling. And uh, it was really fun to do. Shout out to LP and Def Jux. They, they, you know, put the record out. Yeah, it was a great, great experience, man. We're probably going to re-release that soon. Too. Awesome. Yeah. Even the features on that record were awesome, too. Yeah, I mean, Damian Casual. Mar- shout out and, to, you know, uh, God, Damian Marley. Shout out to Casual. Shout out to uh, Mr. Lift and Acrobatic. Yeah. You know, Charlie Tuna, Zumbi from Zion 9. There's a lot of, a lot of just... That really, was really packed, dope artist man. was on that record, you yeah. know. Yeah, great, fun record. I just really enjoyed uh, making that record. Shout out to my man, Hednotic, who produced the record. Yeah, some great tracks yeah, on that. absolutely. Let's talk a little bit about Quantum. I mean, because yeah. that was a Def Jux record, but most of your stuff is done through mm-hmm. Quantum. I mean, Absolutely. that covers what? You, Shadow, Latirix. Mm-hmm. Lifesavers. Lifesavers. You know, Pigeon John. You know, we just were a label, you know, and we're, we're, we're a label and we're a family as well, you know? Yeah, that just uh, born of necessity. I mean, just you guys decide to put, put your own stuff out. Yeah, I mean, we just, we just, back in the early 90s, we were just like, wow, we just kind of 
met me and X went to high school together. X met everybody else in Davis, which is a college city. I moved out to Davis, and we just all kind of had a vision of what the type of hip hop we liked, and the type of music that we wanted to put out. You know, people put their college funds on the line, and yeah. you know, and we just started our own label and. Here we are, you know, so many years later, still touring the world, still, you know, making albums and creating and, and, and doing what we love to do and making a living at it as well, you know? I mean, it's impressive because, uh, you know, nowadays I feel like it's so much easier to do. And mm -hmm. back then, I mean, you yeah. got, who do you got doing that? I mean, you guys, Hyro, yeah. yeah. and then some like major label artists who are now starting their smaller imprints, yeah, like and Lynch like, Mob or too something. Short but, is the father of um, that. Too short is too short is really the father of that of just saying hey I'm just gonna put my own music out I'll yeah. sell it out the back of my trunk so you know you gotta you know give give credit to Too Short for being the um, the father of the whole independent movement. I guess I didn't really know that about yeah, him. Yeah, absolutely. He but. used to sell tapes out of his trunk. He used to roll through neighborhoods through, really? the, hood, through the hood too. Yeah, that's how he started. So he's Mr. Independent Hustle, <laughs> you know? When did when did you guys first drop then? What was your first project? Entropy. Was it, like it was a single called Entropy with DJ Shadow on one side and then Larry Spore and Send Them on the B side. Okay. Um, I was on a song on Entropy. Entropy was a collage of different songs. I was on a song called Count and Estimate. And that's how we started that by that single. We just it was a single. The name of the group, the name of the crew before Quantum was originally called Soul Size. We called that because we were going to do all the singles like that. Everyone was, was going to have a soul side. Yeah. DJ Shadow had the one side. Larry Spawn had the one side. We were going to do it like that, but then I guess we kind of was like people was like, "No, nah, I want to make a whole record." Yeah. <laughs> too, too hungry to write. Like I got more songs than that. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely cool man yeah. well i don't want to take up too much of your time the show's about to start but mm -hmm. uh just wanted to introduce myself absolutely. and uh i'm looking forward to uh sharing this song with the people absolutely um, absolutely and again uh you know we've had some some crazy circumstances but uh you're a man of your word i appreciate working with you no uh no yeah it's it's a privilege so yes sir yes sir All thanks right, man yo peace and love give the gab lackalicious quantum projects peace all right, thank you to Gift the Gab for sitting down with me backstage. Make sure to check out his Patreon. You can find me on Patreon as well. Get a little sneak peek of that track that we're working on, the two of us. And shout out to Versatile, his tour mate, who put on a hell of a show that night as well. If you like the show, subscribe to it. I got plenty of other episodes, Blueprint, Logic, Carnage, Chesky was just on. And now we're going to have a great talk with Sark, so stick around. How does it feel to be back in the van? Uh, it feels like a weird second home that I've missed for five, six years. <laughs> yeah? Uh, yeah, I mean, I slept in this van several times. We did a dumb thing because we didn't know what we were doing. Like, I think it was my, like, third or fourth tour and your first. And we did a 40-day tour in this van. I mean, it was fun in the way that all tours are fun. I would say that most of the shows were probably middling to poor uh, sure like you know being objective about it looking back on it but like we had some we had some highlights though yeah but we also had three days off in northern illinois like sleeping in this van in the freezing cold weather because we toured in like 
I don't know what I don't know what time of year it was, it was like end of September through November. Yeah, and that was probably towards the kind of tail end of that tour, if I recall correctly. So it was probably like October, where yeah. just we're just in cold ass Illinois, freezing in this van for three days in a Denny's parking lot, mostly. Except I remember it was so bad, and I I don't know why this happens to me, but when I'm cold and like sleeping, the first thing that goes is my big toe on both sides. And it will just go numb. And it was starting to wor- worry me that for like 24 hours, I had no feeling in either side. And I was like, okay, this is bad. I had like extra socks. I had a sweatshirt wrapped around my feet. And I was in the sleeping bag. And it was so cold that uh, I remember the second night in Illinois, I was like, I'm buying us a room. I don't oh, yeah. fucking care. That's right. <laughs> we got in the hot tub, and I was like, yes, yeah, circulation. Thank you. <laughs> I don't remember if it was there or later, but on that tour, there was a point where, oh, no, this was later in Wyoming because the the road had closed. And so you guys went to sleep oh, yeah, in the van. That was and terrible. I, I couldn't really sleep. We were in a Denny's parking lot again, and I went in, and I ate dinner and like wrote some verses probably and i was in that denny's for so long that i then ate breakfast like without <laughs> leaving in between and then the road opened and i like came into the van and you guys woke up and i was like the roads are open now if you want to go i'm going to sleep and then like well, i went to sleep while you guys Well drove. i went in with you i oh, think yeah, you, you were there for dinner yeah. I, yeah i only i stayed for the the, the two meal in you a row the special yeah. yeah that was genuinely one of the worst experiences ever on tour and and not not that moment but leading up to it and that we were again as my first tour ever we had already been out for like a month um we're heading the direction of home through wyoming well actually we're leaving denver going fuck there's gonna be bad weather like we need to leave now or it's gonna get we're gonna get snowed in here in denver it turned out we needed to leave like 12 hours earlier yeah because we passed fort collins and it's snowing heavy and then we get cross the border into Wyoming, and it is, like, terrifying. Can't see in front of me. And, yeah, we didn't even get to Laramie. Like, we had to, like all the semis were pulled over. And, and yeah, dude, I, I was freaking out. I wrote about it in, in my book that I'm working on now about touring because, like, that... I, I just remember, like, panicking so much that, like, the nerves got the best of me, and I was like, all right, this is it. And I'm like the no pee in the car, you know, no pee in bottles, no, none of that, you know, don't be gross, shared spaces, you know. And I, I, I looked at you guys, I was like, I got a shit. <laughs> I got a shit. Like, my, I have a stomachache. This is stressing me. And, and you guys are like, no, no. Because, you know, there's no going outside. <laughs> it's a blizzard. And uh, I was like, I'm going to shit in the bag. I'm going to shit in the bag. right? And you, you guys are like, no, don't do it. <laughs> Uh, yeah i i mean there was a moment where we were like strategizing <laughs> we were stuck off to the side of the road we didn't know when a plow was going so we're strategizing we're like okay we don't want to run out of gas so let's turn the the van and the heat on for a little bit let yeah. it heat up in here then turn it off yeah and like let it get cold it's not exactly a well insulated vehicle you know and so no it's a tin can it was very cold uh <laughs> in the snow but then it turned out like a snow plow showed up very shortly thereafter and cleared us away right away <laughs> to to go get to this Denny's where then I stayed up all night but I still get a, a a genuine like stab of anxiety whenever I'm driving and just a speck of snow hits my windshield like maybe it's raining and then it starts to turn into slush and then it oh I see some flakes oh fuck you know like because of that first time <laughs> I still panic yeah I, I mean there's no in, until you write the book 
There's no book on indie touring. So, like, oh, I did, and uh, it's it's I finished my edit, so it's gonna happen. Because, man, you you don't. I mean, you just have to start doing it, and that's how we've both done it. And uh, now you more so than me by far. Uh, but and, uh, I have to credit you because no one would take us out, and I know it took some arm twisting, but you really opened the door for me because no one else who had been out there would do it. And when I tried to book myself, the first question everyone asks is, uh, well, what's your history in you know, this city? And I was like, uh, nothing. Or yeah. my hardcore band played there a decade ago. How's that? <laughs> yeah. Uh, didn't work. And so, yeah, really, you being willing to, to take us was uh, the thing that opened this whole chapter of my life. We should probably mention that this interview is happening on the 4th of July. I was about to, um, <laughs> but I was enjoying where we, where we started right out of the gates. But yeah, we are, um, again, in the front seat of the van in a parking lot because, believe it or not, and I'm sure you can hear this, and I still call you Sarks, I'm sorry, but at Sarks' house, it is like ground zero over there. Sounds like you're in the trenches. There's just giant mortars exploding overhead, maybe two per second. Um, <laughs> and so we drove a few miles away to uh, escape the sound the best we could. Yeah, uh, and everyone still calls me Sarks. And I think technically, if I went and got the season desist, which I think I still have somewhere, I was only asked to not perform under that name. So oh. I think on this podcast, you can call me Sarks, and I won't get any more like... <laughs> letters about it um, i don't think that band's lawyers is going to be listening to my podcast that's i mean probably true probably yeah. i i don't know if like i don't want to speculate I, on how many other people won't be listening to this <laughs> podcast but um well you've got my mom and your mom <laughs> <laughs> probably like tens of people my <laughs> that's fucked up i'm just kidding everyone knows that my mom doesn't have a smartphone I've I've become a regular listener of your podcast, so that's cool. Yeah, it it uh, I mean it sound it, it's kind of shitty of me because I waited until you did the episode where you were listening through Arcane Amalgam, and then <laughs> and then that's the episode I started with, and I was like, oh, maybe they say something about me on this episode, and so that's when I started listening. So. <laughs> well, I'm glad that it at least made an impression that you were like, oh, I'll well, check out some of these other ones I'm not mentioned on. Yeah, I went back and I've listened to a bunch of them since then. So I mean, I've 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 probably not listened to all of them yet, just because I've been riding the bus lately. I just play a Nintendo Switch or read comic books on the bus, so mm. uh, I don't have as much podcasting time, but I, I listened to probably like 20 or 30 of them right after I listened to that one. Nice. That's a good chunk. I'll, We're up to, uh, this is number 47. Oh, cool. So it's it's slowly climbing. I My goal was to do 10 and see how it went. And You, you accomplished um, that. Yeah. So anything else is gravy. That's why I'll just disappear for a few months. And then uh, pop up when I feel like doing some more of these. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I think that, you know, this isn't, I, I doubt that a subject you really want to spend a lot of time on on this podcast is how good this podcast is, because I can't think of a more, or I can't think of a better example of preaching to the choir, but... I think you may have understated how much of a narcissist I really am. Oh, okay. You know? Well, I, I think you're, you're like a weird <laughs> talent you've discovered is that you're a really good interviewer. So thank you. I was when you were like, "Oh, do you want to do an episode?" And we were tr gonna try and do one in February when I was down there, but I was only there for like the oh, show. Oh, yeah, for the Illusionist reunion. I forgot we were talking about that. Yeah, I this mean, that, has was, been that was the first Guns Gods Ghost show. Yeah, this has been a long time in the making. Yeah. Wow. 
And we were going to try and do one when we recorded Arcane Amalgam, but I had the family, which was only one kid and my wife at that point. But I think that's why I brought in uh, Evan Gradient to do the Arcane episode. But yeah, so I, it's been a while. I mean, we've been working on it, or like talking about doing it for a long time. And so I was, I was like, oh, well, you, when, you were, when you mentioned you were coming up and playing the Blueprint show, which I am also playing, uh, I was like, oh, perfect. Let's figure out how we can get this done. And then we cobbled together and here we are uh, surrounded by explosion sounds in a parking lot a home depot parking lot <laughs> what's uh, if i knew their slogan i would have said it right then but i, I don't, don't yeah i'm not sure let's talk a little bit about arcane amalgam because okay. uh i think that was a cool project I, I was driving up here listening to the mighty underdogs and i mentioned to uh, gift the gab on the first part of this episode that my favorite record of his is probably that one where it's it's like him and Latif trading bars the whole time. And, you know, a lot of times I like those little side project collabs like Hail Mary Mallon or Haiku d'etat or, you know, different collab records like that because it brings out something else that you're not usually getting out of that artist. Yeah, I, I, I agree. Um I remember when like the Dino Spectrum came out from Rhyme Sayers. I was like, oh, I don't know who this, you know, other than Slug. I was like, I don't really know who any of these people are yet. But then like listening to it, I was like, oh. And people used to do that a lot more. And it was a really good way to find new artists for you to listen to, too. It's like, yeah. oh, I know who this guy is. And now he's in a group with these two people. And it turns out they're good. I'm going to listen to them. And everyone kind of mixing and matching so much was was super cool. I feel like it doesn't happen as much anymore you know like it, i don't i don't hear about as many projects most of those labels i kind of loved like either don't exist or like really cut back how much they put out rhyme series used to put out one album a month for for their heyday you know yeah now it's i mean like three a year or so it's really slim yeah and it's much different what they're putting out as well i think that the hip-hop super group is something sort of i don't know maybe it's not necessarily a thing of the past. I mean, we got, like I said, Hail Mary and Epic Beardman and, uh, you know, there's some cool shit going on right now. But Yeah, I think it's coming back and it's like happening in mainstream music too. Like a lot of the, I know these aren't your favorite type of artists. But nope. I don't, a, lot I don't of, a lot of the Migos, like, uh, you know, like Atlanta, Florida crowd, they do a lot of like side projects with each other, which I, you know, like however you feel about their music, I think is like, oh, well, good. I'm glad that's a thing again, at least that you're like, you know, in between your albums, you're doing an album with this guy and doing an album with this guy. Yeah, it's smart. It out, so. It's smart. It's my second favorite trend in rap, that f if that's returning. We've been talking about doing a second one of these. I think that really soon, and I'm not sure the date, I'm pretty good about dates, but I don't remember when Arcane came out, if it was, I think it might have been August last year, but um, I would like to, since it was a physical exclusive, we've talked about this before that uh i was like if we either sell out or if we get to a year um and we haven't really played any shows to promote it directly so we we haven't sold out but year is coming up i think i'm going to finally do a, a a wide release on it digitally um for the anniversary just so more people can hear it because i think it's a really cool project and i've you know we've sold probably two-thirds of what we made but really uh there's a broader audience for it i think yeah i thought it was funny because i showed up and i was like sam i want to just bar out on this project 
And you were like, oh, I've kind of been moving away from that. <laughs> well, no, I was like, oh, I just did this whole record with Ogar Burl like that. <laughs> <laughs> and I think we I think we found a comfortable medium where there's like lots of bars on that album, but but there's still like subject matter to several of the songs. And then there's some that are just just bars. But like you, you know, we did Return to the Kings and that song is very clearly about like toxic masculinity. Like Oh man. I had wanted to write that song for so long, like that I even I I don't know if I saw you on my last tour, but I would play that song in my solo set, like my half of it, leading into Wildfire, okay. uh, as like the closer of the show was like talking about, you know, these macho man assholes, and then segue into these fucking same people who tend to be the uh, white supremacist assholes. Um, but uh, yeah, it felt good that part of the show. Yeah. You know, to be up there talking shit, you act a little cocky on the mic, but also we're just human beings. It's not a dick measuring contest. You know, it's an intellect measure. It's a it's a, a battle of wits. You know, that that's what we're doing. It was nice to draw that line. Yeah, I, I uh, it's probably my favorite song on the, that project. If I had to pick one, yeah, um, I haven't listened to it recently because i'm one of those people that's mostly listening through streaming these days you fucking bastard so it's it's like at work i actually constantly think like oh i wish i could listen to this record <laughs> and then i'm like oh i can't because it's not it's physically it's a physical exclusive for at least the time being i'm sorry i know that feeling uh when people will drop their record that's only on vinyl or only on digital i will just hear it once and then never again uh and so i I don't mean to do that to you. Oh, I mean, I'll, I'll write your, I'll write the wrong. <laughs> oh no, it's, I mean, <laughs> it's okay. I think it's cool. Uh, it has some mystique to it that you could, you could only get a physical copy. The mystique is something. Like you said, we we weren't able to like tour on it or like do a release party, and maybe we'll figure out a way to do like a Eugene release party and a Seattle release party if we do another one or something. But you know, since we weren't able to, the mystique is at least something to get like the few people who who do give a fuck. To like be like, oh, this is a cool thing, and I'm gonna I'm gonna snatch it up, or like I'm gonna buy. It. You know, there were I had like a few copies that I picked up from you when I was in Eugene, and a couple people were like, oh, what's this? And I was like, oh, that's me and uh, Sammy Warmhands, if you know him. And, and some of the people were like, oh, Sammy, I, I watch him whenever he comes through. Like, nice. I don't know. So that's cool. It was kind of cool to to see that, and I keep trying to hook up more of those. Uh, like I have a whole bunch of extra beats that I may not use on this album, mm. and I keep trying to find like people I know and just be like, "Hey, you want to do a project? Yeah. I have these beats." And like all of the people that I think are really dope now in Seattle that weren't around back in the days when I was touring and playing a lot, uh, none of them like those beats. So I don't know. I don't know if it'll happen. But. Well, now your inbox is going to have some people that you don't want to rap on your beats messaging you, going, "Hey, I heard you got beats." You just giving them away, huh? What's the deal? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I should have thought about that before I opened my mouth. That's uh, what you get. Yeah, step right into it. I'm sorry. I'm not editing. If, if you're whack, like don't do that. <laughs> <laughs> oh man, that was a good project. I have talked to uh, Odar about doing some more. He played me a beat, God, last summer on the DFS tour. It was like, hey, what do you think of this? And we were in a coffee shop in Boise, and he gave me his headphones. That he was working on beats 24-7. Like, me and Kellen would be talking everywhere. He's in the back with his headphones on. I'm like, all right, cool. But in Boise, he put the headphones on me, and I was like, this is Arcane 2. Give it to me, please. And he's like, I'm not done, but I'll write it down. Nice. So, yeah, that's a possibility for sure. 
Yeah, I mean, I really dig the production style he used for that that first record, and I'd love to go back. Hopefully, we could have Terrell do some stuff again. Oh, he's game, um, yeah. He just did all the, the, well, not all, but a good chunk of the scratching on my solo record a few weeks ago. I just booked a show with him, so. Nice. Because he was like, I'm coming through October 12th, come to Cafe Red, which is a really cool small venue uh, yeah. here in Seattle. Super cool spot. Um, yeah. But I was like, oh, October 12th, is my album release. Huh? I was going to hit you up and see when you were coming through, because I knew you were coming through around then. I would have you on this release. Yeah. And he was like, oh, do you want to do it at Cafe Red? And I was like, well, I love Cafe Red, but it's not, I mean, I, it's going to be bigger than Cafe Red can really fit. Cafe Red is in a trailer, basically. You oh. Know, in, a, in, a, in a mobile home, essentially, parked in the spot. It's, it's cool if... If you can, but you not know, for like a release show. Yeah, it's like a yeah. thirty people show, like yeah. thirty people and it's packed, which is what's awesome about it. If you know, if you, totally somebody comes through on tour and they don't have draw and it's just like cobbled together who you can, like they get you can you can fill it with thirty people and it has that great energy. But so for this release, I was like, oh, I'm doing it at this bigger venue, and um, and then Terrell was like, man, I wish I could play it, and I was like, well, let me talk to whoever booked it for you, and we we worked it out. So he's gonna. He's going to co-headline my release party with me. Badass. I, I'm going to have to play after him, which is kind of intimidating. Yeah. Uh, that guy's, you know, one of the best performers in hip-hop for sure. Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah, he'll make you think on your feet. <laughs> yeah. I've had to follow him uh, more than once. Whew. Yeah. yeah and, would, and and I've had the pleasure, and he we talked about this when he was on the podcast, too, of uh, uh, of me going on before him. And him walking on stage, first he'll say it to me offside, and then he'll say it on stage on the mic. Like, holy fuck, am I going to have to follow that? How the fuck? Oh, my God. He's like, I'm throwing my set list out the window. He's like, I don't even know. I'm going to start. I got to do something else to change the energy and, and right off of that. I was like, damn, dude, thank you. Because uh, like you said, he is one of the fucking illest around, but he's also like super humble. So, and the biggest fan of music. So when he sees something that gets him excited, you know, he'll dole out the props. And I love that about him because I'm pretty good friends with him. But, yeah. you know, in a lot of those situations, you could be like just, the little brother kind of yeah. you know he could be sunning you the whole time like oh yeah yeah good job yeah, uh, it's okay I, i'm i'm friends with people whose music i think is okay yeah you know it's, i'm not like i'm not like blown away I, and i'll you know i'm pretty honest when i hear them and go like oh this is cool and i like this more than your last project but there's people who like i'm friends with them i think they're great people but i wouldn't be like their music's amazing so like you never know when you're friends with an artist who you admire and they hear your stuff if they're like you know, they're really like, oh, this guy's dope. Or if they're like, this guy's a nice guy and we make the same kind of music yeah. so we hang out. If so the, it's cool. If though. they give you the, oh, good set, man. Or if they give you the like, oh, what you said in that verse about, you know, it's like a yeah, yeah. much different response. Yeah, he, 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 uh, I went to his show shortly after the Arcane Amalgam stuff was done. He came through and played Cafe Red and I went to his show and I was like, hey, man, we've like, we were on this project together and we've, we've never spoken other than like on Facebook. And he was like, man, I didn't know who you were. And I like referenced bars and it felt pretty good to like yes. have him like be like, when you were like the Maserati line. And yeah. I was like, oh, thank you, man. That's really awesome. So like, D I, dude, okay, can we just say that line? Because that's the illest part of the whole fucking <laughs> I, I album. I don't know. I, I only remember I'll, I'll pull, pull a bourgeois, bourgeois motherfucker right out of his Maserati. Maserati. I, I, I don't remember like the rest of the lines. I know there's something about it's like I'd, I'd offer calm, but my calling card, card is, is a, a carpet, carpet bombing. bombing. Yeah, like you, man, you had some bars on that song. <laughs> yeah, that, and Carnage is one of the best 
encyclopedic listeners. Like he will he will hear dope shit and catalog it, you know, and uh, be able to draw on it at any given time. Like I love that guy's ear. So I have I have a song, a Guns Got to Go song. We have that as a guest spot. Whenever the guest spot can't show up, I'll often cobble together. Cause it's just it's just a song like a, one of those like braggadocious rap songs, and what? I often you do those I, I I have I have two or so in the Guns Got Guns Got and they're like there's a twist on them they're <laughs> like a little errand you know they're like turned to be how I would do them. His name is Aaron, by the way. Yeah, my real Aaron. name is Aaron. Yeah, that's what so he meant. Aaron as yeah. a verb. So I would take pieces and I'd take some of the Arcane Amalgam stuff and cobble it together oh, for like into a verse, second to, verse to, to take up his spot that he's on the song where yeah. I'm like I don't know what to do so here's a verse of like stuff put together nice um, and and some old uh, mostly songs with you because like oh, I think like I combined some Arcane Amalgam stuff with uh, finish him, finish him mm. you know and like oh here's a verse to fill this of just like bar stuff because four of my favorite bars I've ever rapped are on Arcane Amalgam the Antichrist like sorry but I must not be the Antichrist if you're De Niro, then I'm passing on the taxi. You know, yeah, that, yeah, those yeah. Bars, those are like four of my favorite like little combo lines. If we're big upping ourselves, I have to say that since I never get to perform any of the songs on this record, like you were, don't either. I was really happy with, uh, I think it was on Howler um, when I had that like fight scene for conscientious objectors, a prize thing, like a concierge <laughs> Zephyr necklace. Like there's a, there's a, a scheme in there that I was like, Oh, that's super cool. And no one's ever going to hear this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, I've had to come to terms the last few years, basically with no one's ever going to hear this Yes, for everything. You well, know? but at least like, uh, and I know you've taken some years off stage, but at, at least for me, I have the, the comfort of like, Maybe this is a side project and it's not going to sell as well. But when I do this song on stage, you know, I get to see their faces. You know, I don't get to see their faces with that one. I think we played it one time when you came down for, yeah. the, for the ill show. But but I, just in general, like, I feel like I've had to move into a really weird spots because so, I stopped performing for five years. I didn't do a single show for like three of those years. In the middle, I did one Wings and Wounds show and that's it. That's with like Graves 33. Did. Shout out to Graves. Speaking of cool side projects that... I think. Oh yeah, really, there you go. Really unique and cool. <laughs> and someday I want to make another Wings and Wounds album as well. Like I would love to do another one of those. But I had all this time off, and what's funny is like, in that time, a lot of people like stopped rapping, and then a lot of new people started rapping. So then I start showing up to shows. Before no, like I'm who the fuck shows. is this guy? Yeah, they're like, I don't know who this guy is. A few people were like, Wait, you're Sarks, right? And I was like, Yeah. And then like. <laughs> One of the biggest like moments of feeling you, you awesome like walk in pushing ever. a stroller. You're like, hey, yeah, I'm Sarks. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I somehow became an elder statesman. You know, like in dude, the it Seattle happened scene. in the last five years. Yeah, it happened just, to all of us, it's dude. Just, it's just all of a sudden you're the old like, dude in the room. I'm, I like think about how I felt about like Henri when I started to rap in Seattle, and I'm like, am I like Henri to these people, these like younger kids like, now? And like, kind of, I guess, but like, not oh, as successful. Yeah, but like, oh, he came out. That's awesome. Yeah, you know. Like, but I, I, the best like feeling I've ever had, I was, I was at a show watching like some newer rap acts and this dude next to me like leans into his girlfriend right during a drop in the music so he didn't intend me to hear but he's like he's like that dude next to you is a filthy rapper <laughs> and i was like i was like oh cool <laughs> like people uh, know great. some people know and that's what's fun is like i i went at all these shows with these new cats 
they were like, oh, who's this guy, blah, blah. And then finally, like, I played my CD release party and I booked some of those new guys so that that crowd was there. And then when I, you know, went, like, performed, they were like, oh, okay. Like, you legitimized, like, your spot. We just thought you were the weird guy hanging out with all these. That's kind of like when I show up someplace on tour, if my, you know, hair is blue or green or purple or something and bald and spiky, you know, people will be kind of looking at me weird the whole night if they don't know who I am. And then, like, I'll go up. Like, I specifically remember having in San Francisco when we were playing a weekly and it was, like, packed and they had their usual thing up there and it was a live band and MCs are going up and it's a cypher. It was really tight. Ogar, rap first. And then I came out with him and they're just... Uh, the chorus was over. There's a couple be- couple bars where nothing's happening. And I walk to the front, and people are just looking at me, like, really suspicious. Just like, mm. And I remember uh, which song we played, because when the verse comes in, it's just this, like, insubordinate, and exorbitant, flipboards like contortion. And, like, you watch their eyes, like, light. And I was like, that was great. Like, I almost get a benefit from, like, looking like, I don't know, like, I don't belong there. I often think about how dudes who look like they're dope at rapping never get to experience that. Like, you and I get this special experience where people are like, that guy's gonna, oh, okay. Like, and that's like a really fun feeling to watch on a crowd's face. It is. When you're like demonstrating skills, especially because now so much of like the rap that exists uh, that I don't like, I don't like because nobody's trying to be good at it. You know, like not on any on any like vector because there's different things that we value highly. Like I think you value lyricism higher than I do, and I value like style and like having a really like unique delivery a little higher. But like yeah, we've re- talked about that. Regardless of which which thing you like, there's so many rap acts that just aren't trying to be good at any of them. You know, like they're, they're like if you look at the double XL freshman whatever ten or how many dudes, it's JID and a bunch of garbage. Like it's a bunch of people who aren't interested in being good at rap. And that's like weird to me because part my favorite part of rapping is like demonstrating. Ooh. Ooh, that hurt my ears. My favorite part of rapping is is like demonstrating capability. And like that was that's always been part of it to me. And like part of what is attractive about hip hop culture is like, oh, it is a meritocracy on some level, you know. Like, it is, man. Like, I mean, how the else does a 15-year-old like Cool J come up there and stomp on dudes that are, you know. 10 years older than him or something like people had to bow down like chuck d was like you know 10 15 years older than him and it was, it was like yeah i mean L- ll's my my brother like that dude <laughs> like that dude showed us how to do it you know and he was a kid in high school you yeah. know so it's like uh, there's really something special about that you know that rock him daddy kane shit of just the like everyone had their own style and they were trying to show and prove to kind of make a name for themselves and and the thing i dislike the most and uh i was at god where was i oh uh i was at the car dealership my wife bought a car this weekend the radio that was playing in the background just a random ass shuffle of different genres and things and uh, there's a song that came on and i can't remember which one it was a hit song like let's say seven to ten years ago it had those like pitched up electronic snares that used to be on every song like the example i can give i think eminem used it on whatever that um not afraid song whatever it has oh. those little snares those poppy little you know sound like electronic piccolo snares or something but they were on every single song in like 2007 to 2010 
you know and yeah. now, and nowadays it's the hats you know it's the hi hat little rolls like the trap the trap hi hats are in yeah and like now they're on fucking you know TV commercials and it's like Jesus fucking Christ can like what happened to like musicality and originality and like oh well, it drives when, me crazy when I was looking for beats I kind of ran into that because I was like man I don't have time to make beats for this new project I gotta have somebody else make the beats. And I was trying to figure out what Guns, Gods, Ghosts would be. I like the name. I'm trying to figure it out. And so I, so many producers I would be like, I'm, you know, I called out for beats. A bunch of producers hit me up. And they all asked, like, the same kind of question, which is like, oh, do you want, like, the lo-fi style or the trap style or, like, boom-bap style? And I was kind of like, I don't know. What makes your beats yours? That's what I want yeah, like, is, like, the uniqueness. <laughs> That's why I like Odar's beats. Like, there's elements of like boom bap in them for sure and but there's a lot of like the samples have some weird like effects on them and like they go in their own direction dude and i just i have to interrupt real quick because he sent me his new album like his first beat album uh and i listened to it today on this drive i listened to it twice in a row and like a lot of it is live instrumentation and what's not he's like playing out the programming like on the pads and shit and it is fucking incredible Duh. it does not sound like arcane amalgam at all it is like uh totally in another lane of just like melodic feel-good summertime record but like I, sorry i just had to I had well, to say I that because i'm it, so stoked on this record it makes me excited because i feel like i made arcane amalgam with you at a time when i basically wasn't rapping yeah and and so while I think it's really good and I'm really proud of it, I, you know, part of it's like, oh, it will have been several years since we recorded those songs by the time we get to number two. And to me, it's exciting of like, oh, everyone's evolved and is even better yes. and is even more honed and it'll be even cooler at that point. Because I feel like I shook off the ring rust and kind of defined what I want to do again since then. So I, I've kind of got a path that's better. And I think... I've bugged you about it several times. Like, when's Arcane Two gonna be a thing, man? I want to. I'm, I'm excited to go back to that and revisit that. It'll be a thing, uh, and I know it will. I'm not, yeah. you know, yeah. I'm not like that worried about it. And I have a lot of music in the works, so I've been trying to do that. But there's something exciting about like doing a side project and then maybe only really doing that side project like once every like few years or something. Just because then, like, when you come back together, you all have something new to say. Like you're, you've evolved and you're a different you than was on that last record. Yeah, and part of the reason that, that I didn't do a full release and a push on that thing is because, you know, I do put out a lot of music. And even though I felt like it was unique and something different, I thought it was kind of cool for it to just exist. Jesus, that was loud. Uh, yeah. Really hurting my left ear here, the window down. <laughs> um, uh. But... Uh, yeah, you know, I had, had people saying like, uh, "Oh God, I'm I'm two or three records behind on this, but I'm loving Vacant Eyes or whatever." I was like, "Yeah, fuck, dude." Uh, okay, <laughs> you know, like I'm I'm really glad to like pick up Reform, you know. And so then by then, you know, I had Arcane and then Daydream and was like, those records I, I did a, l less of a push on, partially just because you know, oh here's another little thing, you know, for the diehards that are like hungry for it. But, you know, let's just do this little side project once in a while thing, you know, yeah. and know that it's not for for everybody. It's just kind of our special little thing <laughs> that we did for us. <laughs> At this point, I make all music for me, largely. Like, I release it, and I hope people like it and listen to it, but... Like, ultimately, at this point, I don't have the time to put into, like, web promotion like I used to. The likelihood of me going on tour for more than, like, a week is very low. 
So I, I ultimately just have to be happy with the process of creating it, or well, else, yeah, that that is know. what it's about, and and I don't want to say something that implies otherwise, because I always tell people when they ask for like feedback on their songs, you know, it's like you sound like you're trying to do something, like just just do what feels right to you in the studio, and and make the record you want to hear. And then afterward, figure out, okay, how do I make people want to listen to this thing that I made? You know, don't, don't mix that into the process because you really need to do that for yourself if it's going to be genuine. Yeah. I record Guns, Gods, Ghosts material at the studio called Undercast up in the north end, like technically past city limits of Seattle up in Shoreline. Oh, and, that's where Munch is oh, in Shoreline. Cool. And uh, they really only do vocals for the most part, so they record a lot of hip-hop and R&B. Mm-hmm. And they're towards the north end uh, of Seattle, which is where a lot of, like, kind of derivative, like, hip, you know, like people trying really hard to do what you're talking about. Like, oh, I like Migos. I'm going to make Migos songs but not as good because i didn't create the idea you know yeah. like i'm just i'm just a derivative and so it was really funny to go over there the first time looking like i do so i'm like i get in i'm like giving the thumb drive i'm like all right we're gonna do this song the song and this dude this this dude andrew who's engineering and i i've gone back because he's good look i can tell that he's like not excited because yeah. he's probably not excited about most of the stuff he records all day and he's just kind of sitting back and then like the moment we do the first take of the first verse he like i watched him kind of like sit up and like get on the boards and like <laughs> move a bunch more and i was like i right, see this guy listens to garbage all day and see him like spin around in yeah, his chair like what he was like oh okay i get to do something cool uh and then when i you know when i did like be like hey can we record live bass here at the studio do you have the gear to like record live bass and he he's a bass player too so he was like yeah we'll make it work and then we had my brother come in and lay bass down for the ep that hopefully will be out next month uh like beginning <laughs> of next month Sometimes he'll hit me up, be like, man, are you recording anytime soon? And I'll always be like, have you just been recording garbage for two weeks? And he's like, yeah, man, I just got to get, I just got to get cooler stuff in the studio. Um, and so it's, it's been pretty fun to like see, see that, that happen. I would, I would, I keep saying it, but I forget that weirdly enough, Guns, Gods, Ghosts first show was the illusionist show, but you had to leave during my set for an emergency. So you've still never actually seen the Guns, Gods, Well, Ghost that's stuff. not true. I, I saw part of your set and I, I sadly missed the architects that night, but um, I did see part of your set. Yeah, I forgot about that. Had a weird emergency with my dog. He now takes 10 pills a day and has lived a few more months, thank God. But uh, yeah, yeah, I forgot that happened. You mentioned something just now that uh, you said hopefully you'll have an EP out next month. So clarify this for me. You have a release show in October for an LP, and you're dropping an EP prior to that? Yeah. This EP has a different producer, Justin Evans from the, the uh, Codependence. Nice. Made these beats. Yo, what's, and, it, what's his stage name again? I forget. Uh, he's, using, he's producing under the name Jay Jones, which is, I guess, what I should have called him. Okay. But it took, I, I couldn't remember it at first. So yeah, I just shout out to Codependence. Check out their episode on the podcast. Those guys are really nice. He was one of the first people to hit me up with beats, and he was just like, I just want to work with you. And I was like, that's awesome. Which is weird because he's another person that's been in the scene forever, but we've never actually like played together. Like they're the dudes in Montana, really? pretty much. And we, I, I just, would have, I would have just assumed I met them through you, but no, maybe I yeah, didn't. no, I, I've never played a show with them. But so we Jay had, Jones did the EP. Yeah, he did the EP, and that that one has my brother playing live bass on the recording. My brother like wrote new bass lines, 
because I was trying to integrate him more into the the act and and going forward we're going to integrate him even a level further but it took me a while to get all of the stems from Justin so I was like well I've written some of the songs and some of them I want to get the bass lines recorded before I write so I need more stuff so I went to Smoke M2D6 I don't know if you know him he's from he's part of Old Dominion I've I been recognize the name but I don't think we've met hmm. uh, yeah I've been a fan of his forever I hit him up asking him for beats. I was like, man, I've wanted to work with you for a long time. And he was like, I want to work with you for a long time. And I was like, but I know this is your like day job making yeah. beats. So I don't want them for free. What do, you, what do you want? And he quoted me a price that I thought was criminally low. So I offered him 25% more than that. Oh, that's nice uh, of you. And I said, how about 25% more, but I can put stuff on layaway. And he was like, that's, that sounds good. So, <laughs> so you know, I, I buy them. I, I, I reserve them as they come out, and then I buy them in bunches. You got any him. beats on credit? <laughs> I'll take the MP3 now and the wave file in three months. <laughs> That's kind of how it happens. <laughs> it, I, I, we recorded a full length. I mean, I have a few more songs to record still, but a full length at least of material written. I might cut some songs and just release them as singles or something because um, they don't, you know. You you, you you get beats thinking that they're all going to go together and then once you make the song you listen to them next to each other, you're like, yeah. ah, these don't really work together. Yeah, like the, the hardest thing for me is the sequencing, you know, to make it flow absolutely perfectly because, you know, like a good DJ can take some shit that does not fucking go together and make it tight. But, like, in general, it's smarter and safer to just cut songs till another time yeah I, f- I feel like good albums have a couple outliers just to break it up but like if your whole album is outliers because nothing like really fits together yeah. then you're like eh, okay I, you're I like how many producers are on this like, yeah eh. and and smoke like makes a lot of different stuff and that's what i i love is he just co- he combines a lot of genres and like instruments and things that i i wouldn't think and so that that's the lp and that'll that'll for sure be out on october 12th so um, uh, song to song, there's uh, differences, but how do you feel between the the EP and the LP stylistically? Like, is there continuity there with like you're establishing your new sounds uh, as Guns, Gods, Ghosts, as opposed to the previous records that we remember? They're relatively like dark, and they split the difference between like songs about subjects and songs that I wanted to write because I thought of some clever stuff to say. Yeah. They're definitely like the same mood. They sound pretty different given the different producers. And doing it made me figure out where we want to go forward and playing these shows with my brother. And for a while I was trying to find a drummer and I just couldn't find a reliable drummer. My my brother is like an amazing bass player, like a jazz guy. He can play anything. He's seriously slumming it playing with me. (laughs) Um, And and he's kind of underutilized just basically... Uh, largely playing the bass lines that are on the smoke beats. Yeah. And going forward, we're going to make, we're going to do all the composition between the two of us after this. That's cool. You got your feet wet with this. It'll buy you some time. You'll be back in the scene, and then, you know, there will be no pressure really to yeah. drop something right away. You can tinker and find your. Your sound, because I, I want to make a real like concept concept album, like Coheed and Cambria, one straight story concept album. Yeah, um, and that's hard to do when you didn't make everything. Like when you weren't in the creative process the whole time. If you just get the beats, it's like harder to. You can string together a story, but it's definitely like unless you're the kind of person that's working with the producer on the level where you can be like. And I think you do this sometimes. It's like, okay, can you take that out and slow this down? Like, you know, go to like halftime here for like this, you know, like really change the songs. So it's like a lot easier to do if it's just like, okay, it's me and him and I'm going to have, 
you know, the, the a bunch of samples I like cut out and, and like some, you know, some synths that I like. And he's going to have a bass with a ton of effects pedals and we're going to we're going to make this together. Uh, and then also like live, I think it uh, if I have like uh, an MPC or something set up to like, you know, pad out some beats mm -hmm. and stuff live, it makes it feel more like uh, we could play more non hip hop shows, which we'd love to do because. I've I've loved doing that my whole time making music and and feel like in general in Seattle at least my reception is better. You've always had a good crossover response, you know. Yeah. Uh, I think that one thing that we both found a lot when we were on tour, both as the Illusionists and Sarks, is that we had this weird section of fans that weren't rap fans and yet really took to us for some reason um you know maybe it was our punk rock attitude or you know or something like that you've wound up getting a lot of metal fans i remember and now that you incorporate more live instruments you know it makes sense to to kind of capitalize on that and and build on those uh potential fans that are outside of the scene because like we were talking about on the drive over here the scene is uh you know, it's it's struggled and it's shrunk over the years. So, yeah, I mean, there's the pillars that I think will will survive on some level always. You know, the atmosphere, Aesop Rock, um, that that carved out enough of a fan base in the time in the time during the boom, um, and have found, you know, some like waves of relevancy. For, you know, I, I think I think like Skeleton was such like a good album. It probably like had a huge rebirth for Aesop Rock, but like and doing that kind of stuff where they get to keep going but like ultimately a lot of the like mid-level acts or like a lot of the acts that like you know very few if we polled everyone you know within a 20 block radius you and i would be the only people who knew who they are yeah uh, and that, that's honestly that's something that bothers me when like we're doing this blueprint show tomorrow and I think he's a great example of someone who's like super respected in the in the scene, been around from you know the early days of the rhyme sayers and stuff, and uh, just crushed it. Whether it was solo or whether it was uh, soul position or you know with a Logic and Greenhouse, I mean, you know, or just as a producer, you know, for a Logic and others. I mean, he's somebody who has a, a great body of work and is really respected and you know, has been on countless tours over the years and doing his thing. And yet I'll be out putting up flyers with his face on them. This has happened to me before, specifically with him, where I'll bump into somebody who's wearing like a rhyme sayer shirt, you know, an atmosphere shirt or something. And uh, I'll be like, oh, hey, if you listen to rhyme sayers, check out Blueprint Show. And they're like, who's that? I'm like, you 19 year old little motherfucker, you know, like I just, you know, <laughs> like how the, you know, um, a logic's another great example of that. Or me as a crush kill artist, people come up to the merch table. They like the stuff, they buy it. Uh, you know, we have our interaction and when they leave, I always give them the stickers and the cards, you know, and I'm like, and have you heard of crush kill recordings? And you know, a lot of them have, a lot of them haven't. And it's, what's weird is when I'm opening for bigger shows this is Crush Kill, this is who I'm with, have you heard of them? You know, if they say no, I'm like, oh, well, uh, you're familiar with idea and abilities, you know? And if they say no to that, then I feel like I should just say, oh, well, you know, check them out. But in my head, as a rap fan, I'm like, but do you listen to, like, 
Aesop and Atmosphere and Ali and like, oh yeah yeah I know all of those guys mm-hmm. I'm like well how the fuck do you you know um, and granted it's just bound to happen once in a while but uh, it bothers me as such a fan of these dudes when I get reminders that really only a few escaped from the underground yeah. ceiling you know yeah like so many of these legends so many of these like people who drop absolute classics in my eyes woo you know, are still so off the radar. So when people ask me, like, oh, are you going on another tour, man? You got a new album coming out? I'm like, oh, man, do you feel like this is going to be the one, you know, whatever? I'm like, I mean, I think it's the best one. Yeah, but there is no making it. Like, my heroes yeah. are still slumming it on some level. Yeah. Uh, the, yeah. I mean, the guys that I admire, they're getting by, you know. You really especially start to to have to, like, think about the practicality of it if you ever, like, book the shows or promote them yourselves and somebody comes through and they're like hey i'm playing seattle like can you help me out and i'm like all right what do you want and they're like 700 and you're like man i love your music but i i just don't like i can't lose money on your behalf and i don't see yeah 700 happening you know like it nothing sucks more about about like being multifaceted and, and doing all of your every part of music yourself than having to haggle with your heroes <laughs> to pay them less money <laughs> to play. And not because you don't think they deserve it, just because like the reality of the of the situation, you know? I've, well I've, and first of all that there's no promoters left in this kind of music. So now we are the promoters. Yeah. Meaning we have to we are talent buyers, you know, if the tour's coming through we'll go, Oh sure. Yeah. What's your guarantee? Okay, cool. I'll pay the guarantee and then we'll set up the show and whatever. I mean and for years that's what I was doing, and that's what you were doing, and that's that's fucking hard, man. I've come back to it recently because uh, I didn't want to, like... I, I would hit up all these venues. Like, when I wanted to play my comeback show, I hit up all these venues that I played before and was like, hey, man, can I get a Friday? I'm, I'm doing my comeback show. Not thinking, like, oh, none of the bookers I work yeah, with they're like, still who? are at these places. They're like, who the who fuck are you? are you? And, like, Guns, Gods, Ghosts, you have, this, this new page has, like, 300 followers on Facebook. And I'm like, but, yeah, but I know I can get the people out. Like, can you let me? But, and, yeah, they're, like, mostly from this area. <laughs> yeah. And so, yeah, so it's, it's been, like, eventually I was like, I don't want to, like, have to start from the bottom again. So what I'll do is I'll just book touring acts and and promote the shows and give myself opportunities yeah uh and i you know this this blueprint show is is one of those and um that that i kind of i went in on with a partner but in the process i've had many people hit me up with shows where i just have to talk through the practicality of the math and it's the downside of like the music economy is everyone's trying to carve out their piece yeah and i think it people aren't conscientious enough of the fact that if if they aren't worried about the pieces other people get and other people being sustaining like it's a it's the end point is that nobody there is no scene there is nothing to carve up in any way like you know i've, I've i'm not if gonna you bankrupt the promoter then he's not gonna want to do it for yeah. the next guy is what and you're saying i like a very specific instance i, I won't say the person is but there was a hip-hop act that this promoter said hey i want fourteen hundred dollars and a hotel room and i was like okay well, I'm not opposed to that, but I want to I want to do some research. Do you know what their numbers were last time they were here? And he's like, "Yeah, 140 paid." And I was like, "What was the door?" And he's like, "15 bucks." And I was like, "Okay. Well, 
No offense, but at 140 paid at 15 bucks, I'm probably getting $10 back on each of those tickets. So that's $1,400. So what you're asking me to do is that if this show does just as well as the last time they were here, you're asking me to eat the cost of a hotel room. Like, why would I do that? And he's like, oh, man, you just got to do it for the love sometimes. And I'm like, man, I have kids. Like, I yeah. can't, no offense, but I can't do it for the love. Like, why don't we come down off that number a little bit so we can all walk away you know, a few hundred dollars in our pocket at the end of the day, everyone can make a little bit and be happy. And then depending on how well it goes, maybe next time we can do more, we can check our options, but there'll be a next time. And eventually he walked away from the table and didn't want to debate. And well, it's, it's hard because there's so many different ways to look at it. I mean, um, you know what, what you mentioned, the, the, the guy saying, Oh, do it for the love reminds me of that old mortal technique track where he's not even rapping. He's just talking through the whole thing. And he says, talking about, promoters you know throwing shows asking you to do it for the love or for the culture or whatever he's like you know if i play your benefit and find out that you're paying your fucking light bill with that cover charge i'm knocking you out you know and uh on on the other side i mean uh, i've learned a lot from touring with carnage repeatedly i've learned from superstition i've learned from print and other guys who they they do know their worth actually to quote a superstition song you know like you've got to have some sort of standard for yourself to be able to pull this off long term and so there's a fine line of like you know when do you hold and pass like like your guy did um and when do you take the show like the thing that bothers me is being in eugene we're a small market and so we are not going to give you Portland and Seattle numbers. We just, we, we won't have that turnout. Mm -hmm. And so it's really hard to negotiate those deals where it's like, Hey, I'm, you know, trying to get a thousand dollars or, you know, $1,200 or whatever. And it's like, we can get you five, <laughs> you know, and, and, and coming out with those conversations is, is tough. And sometimes those dudes will leave me disappointed because they would rather have a day off playing for no fans and just driving to San Francisco from Portland than play our little show and get $500 and play for 100 people. Those ones hurt a little bit, but I also understand that they're not trying to devalue their brand when they go elsewhere, you know, because it is a small community and we talk. Although, good rule of thumb is not to... Generally, not to talk about what you paid for for shows. No, uh, and I and I wouldn't. But I'm saying, yeah, like, yeah. hypothetically. But, but, but the, you don't the, know the, if, if the promoters are going to or not. Like, you don't know how. A lot of these people you've contacted on email or, or found via like Facebook communities or something, and you're like, you don't know them from Adam. So like, you don't. As an artist, I wouldn't know if you're going to talk about how when I give you a deal. I've had legitimately cool bigger artists do guest spots for me for free. Yeah. But they've all it's always come with the caveat like don't don't tell don't say that we did it, you know, we did it for free. Sure. Yeah. You know, cuz I I want to be able to charge the people who we want to charge. I I get not devaluing yourself, but I also think like the longevity of the scene means everyone needs to be realistic and a lot of dudes who were there during the boom period and got paid 
they haven't come to terms with the fact that that term is gone and probably not ever Some coming back. Some have not, man. I've I've had to straight up say to a couple agents before, like, "Yo, it is not 2004 numbers, man. Like, they don't exist in my town anymore." You have a small market. I have a weird market because Seattle is like a big market and it's a music town, but it's always a music town for like a couple types of music specifically at a time. And it's kind of like, subdivided too. Like, if you book in this neighborhood. Some people are not going to go. If you book yeah. in that neighborhood, some people are not going to go. Yeah, like for a while, there was a definite divide between like the North End rappers and the South End rappers, and they didn't really hang out together, and they didn't go to each other's shows. I don't want to go out to that show and have to get a taxi home or get a, a you know recently probably like a Lyft or an Uber home. But like, so it was it's it's like weirdly divided, and it's not always super reliable. So I'm always like skeptical of like these high offers that you know that look like. I'm probably not gonna make this back, huh? You know, like yeah. maybe I'll go out on a limb if it's somebody I love. You know, I like love their music. I'll go. You know what? What a, worst case scenario, I lose two hundred dollars. I'm not gonna die. You know, like I I'm, think I only lost money like once. You know, I mean, you might lose twenty dollars or something, but I think I only like lost money once uh, because I I just had that same guarantee money that I would pay the artist when they get there to sound check. And then at the end of the night, I would collect it back, and I'd put it back in my drawer. And I used that same fucking rubber band over and over again, you know, just recycled all those shows from, like, I don't know, 2011, 12, 13, or whatever those years were. And then I lost, you know, pretty good on one of them. It was like, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm good on this for now. Like, I, I really, it takes so much to release these albums and to go on tour on my own stuff of, like, I'm not going to play the promoter anymore. And I'm fortunate enough that I think I did that to the level I needed to. Whereas, like, currently, I told Chad, my booking agent, in January or December, I was like, I got to take the year off the road, man. We got brutalized last year with breakdowns and cancellations and just, like, shit going wrong. Uh, I was like, I got to take the year off. I was like, get me any opening spots you can though and so i've been fortunate in like my quote-unquote time off this year that i've actually been able to play for a lot of you know different audiences having made those connections a few years ago for the most part i mean sometimes chad just does his magic but i think a lot of that was because you know you play promoter long enough you get to know enough people and and uh you know it, it does benefit an artist to step into that role for a while I've got to reacquaint myself with a lot of people, but luckily, like things happen. Like, you know, Chesky came through a while ago, and he and I talk a lot. So, the opener on that show dropped out because they broke a million bones or something. And then Chesky was like, "Man, do you want to open the show?" And I was like, "Of course, I want to open your show." Like, yeah. like literally, can't think of a person whose show I'd rather open like than your show. So, I'm, oh, I'm and, and shout out to Chesky. I. I mentioned your name when i when i made the uh the interview with him and i said yeah it was actually in this van i uh i heard the one man band broke up you know when i was cutting some of the like you know farts and coughs from the the episode i wound up cutting the the shout out to you but yeah you introduced me to his music yeah and like you know like there's nobody i really like ride as hard for as like Hey, if you like music of any form, and yeah. Chesky is coming through your town, and you don't know anything about him, I'd like you will not be disappointed if you go see that man perform live. Yeah, like don't even look it up first. Just yeah, go. Just, just go, and it like, you know, my my brother is not a big like rap fan or or anything, um, but I brought him. What the him, fuck is he doing in your group? 
uh, playing bass. Yeah, like he listens to Aesop Rock and like a few other things, but he's all about like technicality, you know, like and musicianship and prog. You know, that's yeah. kind of like his home. But we went to see Chesky. And I was like, yeah, it's like rap. It has some folk to it and a little bit of punk to it. And those are not my brother's favorite genres. And he was like, eh. And then we're like watching and he's like, wow, he's this like, dude oh, is. He's like, oh, people who can't play? Yeah, this I'm dude. I'm so excited. <laughs> yeah, he's like, this dude is amazing. That show was was crazy. Like both, that was probably, I don't know, earlier, early this year. Um did when he you, came through with Samus did, and did you see the anonymous INC? Oh yeah, show? That, that was the show I opened Fucking for. Fucking hell! And first of all, I'd never seen David play drums before, but uh, he's he a is monster. a monster motherfucker. <laughs> yeah. Oh my! Uh, I came up to him afterward. I was like, okay, you are like grooving the whole time, but then when you did that gradual crescendo with the speed up into a full-on punk beat, I was like, I want to hear a punk record from you. Like a straight-up hardcore record, please, because you were slaying that drum kit. And when I saw him, all he had was a hi-hat, a cajon, and a fucking piccolo snare. Oh, okay, yeah. When, when I saw him, he played with the full kit from um, Cousin Boneless, the band they were on tour with. Yeah. Uh, he just played their, their full kit because they were late to the venue, I think. So they were like, you know what? Just backline the drums. I'll play your kit. Hmm. Uh, and it was crazy. Uh, and then, like, occasionally he'd get up and rap songs that I guess he and Chesky wrote when they were, like, 17. Nice. Uh, and they'd run through the crowd. I've never seen anyone but Chesky have a parade in the venue. <laughs> like, he just gets off stage and he just starts playing and walking towards the back of the venue. We're playing Barboza, which is a very, like, hallway-shaped venue, basically. It's this long yeah. corridor. And just everyone, you know, has to go with him if they want to keep listening to the music. And he's like, everyone walks to the back. He's singing. He walks to the front. David's like, I don't know, maybe he's playing some sort of, like, percussion that he brought with him. And it was just like, dude, it's so crazy. Like, if you've never seen it, it is to me the best, like, kind of small room performance you could really pay money to see. Honestly, I, I can't think of one that I've just been like, oh yeah, Whew, that it's it's amazing. And it's not. And I he mean, already is by himself, but like seeing the group together and and uh, is his name Max? I think on the yeah, keyboard. Max Heath. Like, I, I mean, the three of them together were just it was transcendent to another level. Yeah, it's cr so crazy. Doing a song with that guy and doing a song with Open Mic are like my two like, I go back and listen to those songs all the time and just go like, ah oh, man, I'm glad I got to do a song with these these dudes that I think are like, so crazy talented. Rub it um, in, rub it in, you motherfucker. Do you not have a song with either of those guys? I don't. You have so, songs with lots. Those of are conversations that I've had uh, numerous times, and uh, you know, it's just like, oh yeah, totally this week. Oh yeah, totally next week. Oh, I'm going on tour for a little while. Hey, I'm back now. Uh, yeah, let's talk about that again. And just like the things that don't work out because, you know, scheduling or whatever. And so, uh, yeah, I was always jealous of you for those two. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to make you jealous. No, I just had to. I uh, mean, luckily, we got open mic with you. before he super blew up. I yeah, feel like yeah, it would be a window. lot harder now. I missed uh, my window on that because I think when we were talking about it, it was like Death of a Salesman era. And then you know, now he's on fucking TV and shit. I'm like, oh my God. Yeah, he has like a Comedy Central show starting or coming out or has started. I don't, I don't Actually, my goal was to get him on, on this show, I think, more than a, more than a collab uh, musically because uh, aside from like free rights, I don't think stylistically that makes a ton of sense. But the last time I played with him, I think, was in Hood River. And um, I was uh, just kind of really starting to, to get into a groove with this show. And mm. he's obviously had a successful show. 
Uh, fuck, I even heard him on Marin's show. Um, I listen to a podcast so. he does, but it's a re- it's a wrestling prod- podcast because he's a pro wrestling fan. So I it, thought he only did Secret Skin. No, nah, he does a show called Tights and Fights. Huh, funny. Um, and he, he's not on it every episode because when he's touring, he's not he's yeah. or something. But yeah, he does this show called Tights and Fights. He's one of the three hosts of it, and it's a, it's a pro wrestling podcast because I'm a big pro wrestling dork, and clearly so is he. Yes, you are. Um, I am not, but I am loving Glow. Did you watch the new season? I haven't yet because I have a new thing with, with television. Have I told you my new thing with television? No. So I've learned that I don't actually love the Netflix model of like – a whole season comes out, binged it. Like, I loved it at first because it was different. But, like, what I found out is so much stuff comes out that a lot of times I'll watch the first season of something, I'll binge it, it's amazing. Yeah. And then by the time another season starts, because it didn't trickle out over 22 weeks or even 13 weeks. Yeah. I By the time the second season starts, there's so many other things to be excited about. I often find myself being like, I'll get to that when I get to it. Like, Stranger Things, perfect example. Mm-hmm. Loved season one. Yeah. Binged it. By the time season two comes out, over a year later, I was like, eh, I, I mean, I, I want to watch it, but I'll get to it when it comes. So my new thing is, I don't watch any like non-reality TV. I still watch some like docu-series and stuff, but as far as like serial television where the story matters, I don't watch them until they're over anymore. What? Yeah, I'll, I'll wait until all the seasons are done and I can just watch all of it. All right, so I feel what you're saying on some level, because when there's that much gap, between seasons it's not a three-month gap because they're filming while you're watching the current one you know yeah it's easy to forget and lose your place what i always do and my wife doesn't love this but i love it and that is the same thing that i do when uh let's say when the last jedi came out we watched every goddamn star wars movie over a two-week period leading up to it and went to that fucking premiere and it was great and uh let's say when house of cards would drop i would rewatch the previous season now sometimes because i'm that way i would go all the way back to the pilot and go through it all but at the very least you know like the other day we watched the last season of glow because we knew that it was coming out Mm -hmm. we got primed you know storylines refreshed you're excited again you know that's the way to do it because if i i've started a season two or three or four cold and i'll go oh fuck i pause it Hang on, and I'll go to YouTube. I'm like, can I get a season recap? <laughs> can I read the like, Wikipedia article about fuck, this show? I don't remember I, where we were at, and it loses its emotional resonance. And know? I think that this is what changed, actually, because I, I was doing that kind of thing for a while. Yeah. And then I think, you know, and this was inevitably going to come up, it's the having kids thing, because so, once Archer hit the age where, like, I can't just let him watch anything because he's, like, forming memories, and I don't want him to, like, see all this violence or drugs or, like you know, sex that's happening in some of these series. Yeah. Well, then it's like my my television viewing hours shrank to where, like, I can watch maybe two episodes of something a day, and so much television is coming out on these streaming services, a lot of it that I'm interested in, that, like, I can't be given time to these recaps if I want to, like, watch the new stuff coming out. <laughs> it's like a matter of capability, you know, and so... That makes sense. That makes sense. Because, yeah. I mean, if a new show comes out, you know, I'm in the habit of, like, after dinner, watch two episodes. If it's a half-hour show, maybe I'll watch three, <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah. uh, push it as long as my lady wants to stay up because she works earlier than me and uh, cram in as much as I can because I get excited about them. But, um, yeah, I totally get that when you have fewer opportunities to do it or i feel that way when i'm really busy in the studio 
my album's basically done, so I haven't really been out there much the last few months, aside from touching things up. And so uh, I've had more free time to like dig into shows lately. Yeah, I, I, I also think I've made a weird move from, for, for a while, like I think TV usurped movies. I was still watching movies, but like largely just like the blockbusters I was interested in, like yeah. already. You know, I, when I was a kid, like movies are what you watched. Like you went over to your friend's house. There wasn't like you didn't watch a season of of the X Files. No, you watched like you'd go to Blockbuster Fight Club and, or yeah. you know whatever Big Lebowski that kind of stuff. Yeah, you know that came out during our adolescence, and that's what you watched. And I kind of like while I was kind of getting irritated with my inability to watch TV, I was like, I do have the time to watch exactly one movie. But exactly. like after the kids go to bed, I can watch a movie and go to bed. And so I've dived but deep back into movies. I've you know I've had an Apple TV since uh, probably like I probably had it for a little over a year, and I've purchased. Yeah, that's what I used to. Yeah, I purchased three hundred and sixteen movies in that time. So <laughs> oh my Christ! Well, they have that they have that build your collection under eight dollars section, and that thing is just the bane of my existence. Because I've, no I've never bought a digital anything. Oh I yeah, I buy tons of. Well, you know, I used to have hundreds of DVDs. And yeah, I do. Like. It's that's another one of those kid practicalities. They ruin your stuff, uh, and you just I just don't have the room for them. And then if they're out and available, then the kids will destroy them. You so, just got a kid proof. I my cabinets have closing doors. Just kid proof them shits. Yeah, kids are smarter than you think. You know, like I, I, I have not necessarily than I think. I just don't pay well, that much thought to it. That stuff works up to like three, okay. and then they have the brains to figure out how a lot. Like what, yeah. oh, what plastic piece do I press first gotcha. to open this thing? So. So I think it's just like, eventually I was like, you know what? I, I pawned all of that physical copies, and then I just bought digital copies of the stuff I really needed, and I've kind of been building out from there, and I've I've taken some deep dives to where I'm like, what's like a tentpole movie I love that is like part of this like genre or movement in film that I didn't know about? Like uh, High Tension. Have you ever seen High Tension? No. High Tension is like a French like revenge uh, horror movie, and it's like kind of a tentpole of this movement called French extremism. And so I thought, oh, well, I'll just, I like that movie. I'll just find other, I'll find all the other stuff in that genre I've never heard of because that was like the one that rose to the top and I'll watch those. Or same thing with like, oh, Japanese New Wave. I have this movie that I've watched before, but I've never watched most of it. So I'll yeah. go watch all these other movies and kind of, so I've been doing a lot of that. Like um, last night I watched like a movie called Alphaville from like 1965. Mm. Um, oh yeah, I saw you post about that. Yeah, yeah, it's, it wasn't, it, it's supposed to be like, uh, Jean-Luc Goddard, he's like generally considered like one of the greatest directors ever, and I like his other movies I've watched. And I watched, and I was like, man, this is super brilliant, but I'm not having any fun watching it. You know, <laughs> you know, today when I was um, texting you my ETA, and turns out our schedules were a little bit misaligned from what I thought, and then I was like, oh, I'll just go over to Munch's house early, and then. Uh, he had a thing too. I was like, "Fuck, maybe maybe I wasn't as clear as I thought with these people." Uh, <laughs> I'm three hours ahead of schedule, and I've gone to two other goddamn shows in the past week where I got there three hours before the other person, and I was like, "I am not doing that today." And then I, like, ten minutes later, I drove by a Regal on uh, like in Vancouver and on I five, and I was like, I "Cut over fucking three lanes," and uh, I pulled in and caught. Uh, Jurassic World, like five minutes before the show. <laughs> oh, nice! I watched that la last week. It came out last week, right? Yeah, I feel like I was fucking up. Like that's the only Jurassic Park movie I didn't see. Like you know, right when it came out. But I've I've been 
in and out and had shit going on. My wife was bummed that I went without her, but I was like, I'm sorry, it has to happen. Yeah, my this is this is another this is a really fun thing that my wife and I do. Uh, Nine kids. I watch a lot more movies than her in the theater anyway. But the ones that we're both interested in, like she'll take the kids on Tuesday. I'll go watch the movie. I'll take the kids on Wednesday. She'll go watch the movie. We'll talk about it after we both see it separately. That's funny. Uh, I've watched so many movies by myself in the last like year. I watched Infinity War by myself. I've done double headers. I'm like, oh, wow. I have a Friday night. My wife says do whatever you want. I'm like, I go watch. <laughs> I watched Blockers and A Quiet Place, like right one right after double header in a movie theater. Uh, Cock uh, Blockers. That was pretty funny. It was way better than That's I thought it would funny. be. I, I, it was actually like weirdly like, ultimately it's gender swapped American Pie like sure, the yeah. show. Yeah. But you don't realize like how subversive that makes the story, given kind of like how patriarchal our society is. You know, like yeah. it turns out if you just make it women, it's like there's a lot of difference that just happens based on how we treat women and virginity and like purity. You know. Well, like, and there's there's been some cool movies like that. Um, did you see Love Simon? Yeah. Oh, really good. Yeah, I like right? that. Yeah. Like regular teenage coming of age story, a love story, you know, you're, it's like you're seeing it for the first time, you know? Yeah. I really like that one. Yeah. I, I've, I've, so I, I've, I've watched like one movie most weeks, at you, least one movie most weeks this year. That's, that's my thing now. Like we've, uh, we've been going like every Sunday or Monday cause we share those t- days off. Do you, do you movie pass? Uh, I I don't have movie pass. I didn't get on the train early enough. Yeah, they've uh, they've changed it a lot and, and fucked it up. Yeah, and now it's like at this point they're on like, who knows how long that company will exist? You know, like I mean that was from day one. I thought they're doing what? Yes, give me it now. But but I think I I heard like kind of the story. Uh, from my bosses are you know big into following like the business section of the newspaper and they were explaining to me that we must be boring the shit out of people by the way just everything ah, okay. we, let's, <laughs> let's let's go on to another tangent of behind the scenes the business management <laughs> side this time an industry neither of us are involved in yeah but but you know people like movie pass come on well, i know just, i know i'm just fucking around <laughs> but so like i guess they were banking on selling the analytics like the information they got yeah to advertisers and studios and to and basically what they didn't bank on is those reward programs that Regal and AMC have mm-hmm. already give them a shit ton of data that yeah. they sell to those advertisers and studios. So MoviePass came to them with like, yeah, and they're like, oh, we know all this. Like, we don't need your data. Uh, and so where they were hoping to make money, they have no money to make. So who, who knows who knows how long that ship will stay afloat. But I did hear that AMC just started their own version. I heard that. I don't um, have AMC in my town, though. So, so But I, I imagine if AMC does it, Regal will do it to compete. So, yeah. And it sucks because I like Ooh. being able to travel freely between the two theaters and use whichever one has the more convenient show times. But Personally, I, I go to the Cinemark in, in our town. It's the only reason I ever go to Springfield. Evan will tell you that he only comes to my house, <laughs> but but because uh, they got the good seating, they got the reserve tickets, uh, and they're they're cheaper. Regal is like fucking eight bucks or eight fifty or something for a regular showing. Cinemark's like seven even. Six fifty. Oh, you can that's, catch a five fifty matinee or that's something. That's so hilarious. Living in this town, fourteen dollars bare minimum. You're gonna pay for a ticket, a movie yeah, ticket. That's in this insane, town. man. S- Seventeen if you want IMAX or three D or something. I'm know? not into those things personally. Me but, neither. But, but I, I knew when I was when it was coming out of my mouth that I needed to establish the clear difference in percentage, <laughs> not just what the dollar amount was. Sorry yeah. to those of you who live in other markets. There's theaters here now. 
that have been renovated. Uh, so I, I try to go to the, these theaters. Um, one of them a Regal, one of them an AMC that have the recliner seats. Yeah, yeah, that's what I'm and, saying. Oh man, that that shit is revolutionary. You never want to like you go to a regular theater after that, and you're like, this sucks. Yeah, like what? This is what I did my whole life. You're like, like rock, why rocking around in the uh, seat? Like, oh, and damn. I especially hearkened back to like being a teenager and going to the movies with your girlfriend in in like high school. And, oh yeah. Because these these recliners are are sat in pairs, and the middle armrest will just go up. Oh, really? So if you're with a lady, you can just kind of snuggle naturally. And I thought back to all my arm cramps, like 15-year-old <laughs> me had, like working my arm around my girlfriend, like watching whatever, you know, dumb movie that came out at the time. Dude, me and Andrew were just talking about that the other day. She's like, she says about the first movie we ever went to when we were like eighth grade, we went to see Bats, I think just because it was a movie and was playing. Wow. Um, and uh, she's like, yeah, I remember you did the... The, the whole arm around me thing like while we were sitting there and it was like super uncomfortable but also kind of endearing <laughs> but yeah now they're they're like the, our recliners in town are are very separated you, there's no conjoining oh, seats yeah. so these ones here she yeah, doesn't have to worry about me making her uncomfortable the middle thing just goes up so you can just snuggle like you would on a couch it's, it's the best well speaking of snuggling I've spent a lot of time snuggling with you on the road I had to learn how to share van floor and share beds and uh, uh many things and uh i i appreciate your like i said opening that door for me i want to wrap up the episode by playing something from your new ep i would like to do that okay and uh encourage people to check out your new stuff because if they follow me they might be more familiar with your older stuff where can they follow guns gods ghosts are you at um, Guns Gods Ghosts yeah, on everything? Yeah, it's at Guns Gods Ghosts on everything. Uh, it's one of the things like I checked before I sealed the deal. Is that being the name? Is like, can I get this on every platform? Because I don't want to have to do the the yeah. spiel of like it's GGG two thirty seven on this <laughs> and here, you know it's like I just want to make sure it's available. It, it's on everything. Like I play games on PlayStation Four as Guns Gods Ghosts. <laughs> if you want to play Overwatch or something, cool man. Well, look up formerly Sarks. <laughs> In G.G. Allen, or whatever it's called. <laughs> All right, that is our show. Thank you so much for listening. It's kind of an informal one that we did today. I've been keeping it a little more loose. Not necessarily going through everyone's whole career, but just playing off the chemistry. What do you guys think? If you're feeling it, give me that five-star rating. Share the page. Subscribe to it. Help me spread the word. I'm going to leave you with a brand new track from Guns, Gods, Ghosts. This is The Question. And it ain't true belief unless the passion hurts Trying to feed off me is a casket urn These parasites lack the nerve, they taciturn But rodents get stomped by a packet derm I'll cover a six-foot hole in the blasted earth They fucking up, trying to
to pass the curse, but it follows, so they just catch it worse. Now there's a whole lot of red on this astroturf. No magic words, just one question. How much blood can there be in one human body? How much blood can there be in one human body? How much blood can there be in one human body? How much blood can there be in one human body? It looks like Glenn fell asleep in here You see the air grows cold when the reaper's near And there's frost on the glass and the mirror's black Villains had the faith that heroes lack No five minute window, just three and a half My whispers have a mask and for rope no slack They tie their own noose, delete their whole track My words go viral cause I'm so snow crashed Sumerian, families asking where I buried them Travel in the desert, asking me to carry them Hypocrisy they offer me, I find hilarious Hemlock to Socrates, smiling nefarious I'm taking heads like Perseus, I never learned what mercy is. The silver tongue they cursed me with has to ask just one question. How much blood can there be in one human body? How much blood can there be in one human body? How much blood can there be in one human body? How much blood can there be in one human body? I see a black door and I wanna paint it red I see a black door and I wanna paint it red I see a black door and I wanna paint it red Paint it red, paint it red, paint it red How much blood can there be in one human body? How much blood can there be in one human body? How much blood can there be in one human body? How much blood can there be in one human body?